Uh, now, there we go. There it is. Got it. Hello. Good morning. Now we're awake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I don't have to scream at you men for the next hour. I appreciate that. A um, couple notes here. I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, a bunch of you have been asking me for the recording from last week, and wouldn't you know it, last week is the one week where I said something worth remembering, and that's the week where the recording did not work. So <laughs> I'm really sorry for that, guys. I'm not quite sure what happened there, but we will um, we'll work on it. I think what I'm going, going to do is probably not reteach that lesson to an empty room. I'm just going to do it here this morning. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, I think I'm going to develop that in, into kind of like a written up kind of blog post or something, and I'll get that out to you guys so that you've got the information and can share that with whoever you want to talk to, uh, and we'll, we'll go from there, okay? Um, you know, yesterday uh, we kind of got, at least I did, exhibit A of um, what we're talking about here this morning. Our subject matter is supposed to be a theology of technology. And uh, yesterday morning, I woke up and got about my business only to discover that I had zero cell phone service along with, I think, half the country or something. I mean, it was just a lot of people were out of service yesterday. And that, while it represented kind of a minor problem, um, was a major source of inconvenience. Um, And it just reminded me as I was sitting there um, in a coffee shop trying to write this lesson on technology, how enmeshed this has become in our lives, that when we lose just one little piece of it, uh, man, just nothing, nothing seems to, to work the right way at all. And it really hinders our ability to engage with our world and to be, and to be productive. Um, I sent my, my little brother a text message. He is a, um, or he was for a long time, a fiber optic engineer, installation engineer for... Um, for AT&T, which AT&T was the one that was down yesterday. And so I sent him a text message and I just said, could you please tell me what terrorist network or foreign state hacker is responsible for turning my cell phone into a thousand dollar glass brick today? Or did you just install those fiber optic cables incorrectly? Either way, I'm heading to Costco to buy all of their toilet paper right now. <laughs> he and I got a, got a really good laugh out of that, but uh, it was just a great illustration of what we're talking about here today. And th- th- this, uh, this topic, uh, technology specifically, is a really important subject given the world in which, in which we live, and it's only going to become increasingly more important. And so I'm <coughs> excuse me, eager to d- jump into this with you men this morning. Now, I will tell you, that in preparation for this morning, I read several books trying to get ready for this, and there's one in particular that Bruce gave me. In fact, he gave it to me, and he had his name written in the front, and I, I, and I missed that, and so I just drew all over the book, marked it up, wrote in the margins, just, I mean, color-coded the snot out of the whole thing, the only to realize Bruce wanted this book back. <laughs> so I've had to provide him, I will provide him, um, with a fresh, clean copy. But that book is a book by a guy named Tony Reinke called God, Technology, and the Christian. Um, and it was very, very helpful. Best treatment I've found on this subject matter out of the, all the things that I read. Um, as he brought biblical data and perspective and worldview to bear on this subject matter, um, would highly recommend that. But I also mentioned that um, at such length this morning, just to say that, that my thinking here on this topic has been heavily influenced by him. 
Um, and so as we're going through here this morning, it's very difficult for me to pull apart where my thinking starts and his thinking stops. Um, so, I, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm giving credit to where credit is due because he's heavily influenced my thinking here as we go. There's a number of quotes here. I have quoted him directly when I have quoted from him directly, but just know that <clears throat> I'm kind of building on the, on the shoulders of a thinker who's gone before me, okay? I wanted to make sure you guys knew that. Uh, Tony Reinke, R-E-I-N-K-E. Um, he also wrote a book that I would highly recommend to you called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, um, which is just kind of, you know, how do we think as Christians about the usage of this device? That came out maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago. Very, very good book. Um, but God, Technology, and the Christian is, is his theology of technology super helpful. Okay, so I want to go ahead and acknowledge him and his influence on my on my thinking here. All right, so <clears throat> let's get started because there is a lot of territory to cover here with this with this subject matter. We're covering this, guys, because last week we were talking about work. Work is a natural outflow of the dominion mandate that God has given to man. He gave that to us because we're made in his image. So we're made in his image, which means that we're now responsible to steward creation, which means we're going to have to work. And the means by which we work is as we apply the tools of technology, uh, science, if you will, to the work that has been put in front of us. So that's the logical flow. If you're wondering why are we talking about this? because there's a very logical flow to, the lo to what's going on. And you see that reflected in the book of Genesis. God creates, God entrusts, <clears throat> God empowers for work, and then God blesses with the ability to actually overcome the curse using technology, okay? And so we're gonna, we're gonna be looking at some of that here this morning, but let me just start by giving you a definition of technology. The word technology, as all of the words in our theological study have come from, comes from two different Greek words that were kind of put together. The first one is the word techne, um, which refers to an art or to a skill. Um, the, the original etymology of that word really referred to the skill of weaving something together, basket weaving, the weaving of fabric. You're putting different ideas together in order to create a new product. And that really is what happens um, in technology. It's extraordinarily rare, we'll talk about this, that technology is the product of a heroic inventor where out of the blue he just comes up with something. More often than not, it is the weaving together of multiple ideas in the flow of human history that enables a new technology to be born. Um, and so that can, that's reflected even in, that, uh, in, the, in the background of, of the term. An art or a skill, ology, you guys know this, it's a word about, a study about something. And so really, we could define technology as the study of the application of skill. So here's a definition that, that I came up with. Technology is the application of science to life using man-made tools. That's really technology. If science is the exploration of natural principles that God has hardwired into creation, Technology is the means by which we exploit those principles that have been hardwired into creation. Coming up with tools to now apply that science. Technology really is science applied, okay? And that's what we're talking about here. Now, just a couple of notes as we get going. Um, I think it's important to recognize that technology 
is as old as mankind is. Sometimes we have a tendency to think all this newfangled technology and, oh, you know, but, but the reality is it's as old as, as, as the human race is, okay? Technology is not a new thing. There are new technologies that may be um, brave and amazing and maybe a little frightening, um, but technology is not new, okay? It, it is old. You know, the old saying, well, that's as old as sliced bread. Um, that's not really a very helpful statement because sliced bread was invented in the 1800s, maybe early 1900s. So being as old as sliced bread, um, that's not really necessarily an old technology. That's more of a new technology. But maybe more pertinent is uh, don't reinvent the wheel. Okay? That, that's maybe a, a better phrase to describe the age of technology because wheels have been around for as long as mankind has been around. It didn't take someone very, very long to figure out, hey, if we put two wheels and an axle on this car, we can move a lot heavier stuff a lot faster. And off, and off they go to the races. But if you want to see that in the scriptures, um, the birth of technology really takes place <coughs> in uh, Genesis chapter 4. I think it's hardwired into the dominion mandate, um, but you see it first being utilized in Genesis chapter 4, where you find Cain being described as a worker or a tiller of the ground. What is that? That's rudimentary, very early technology. The first time someone picked up a stick, stuck it into the ground to turn the dirt over in order to plant a seed, they were utilizing technology because they were using a tool in order to accomplish a specific purpose. And that's what, that's what Cain did as he tilled the ground. He decided, you know what? If I take a stick and I drag it through the dirt, that's a lot more effective than trying to kick the dirt over with my foot. And so I'm going to use this tool to do it. And you know what would really make this effective is if I hook that stick up to you know, an animal and have the animal pull it for me, I can do a lot more, a lot faster, a lot deeper. Right? That's technology. That's what you see happening there. Okay? So from the very earliest days of mankind, the very dawn of mankind, the first human being ever born through natural processes, he is a utilizer of technology, okay? And his descendants then go on to become master technologists. You see that happening later uh, in chapter 4, where you see the descendants of Cain utilizing technologies, various technologies to begin to build cities. That's technology to begin to apply themselves to music. That's technology applied to the arts. You see them um, applying technology in the, in the realm in verse 22 um, to metallurgy, and you see them doing that into the world of armaments there in verse 23. So we're not even out of the first generation, really, of, of mankind's history, and there is very advanced technology that is being applied. Okay, so technology is not new. It's not like, oh my goodness, we hit the 21st century and boom, here's technology. No, it's, it's always been there. Which means, guys, your life, my life, is completely enmeshed with technology. There is no way to live apart from technology. It is escapable, inescapable. Um, we live in a web of enmeshed technologies, and it's a little bit naive to think that you can live without technology. Now, you may not adopt new technology to the same degree that I do, but you must use technology in order to live at any level at all. I mean, we all used alarm clocks this morning. You know, I woke up when my alarm clock went off this morning, and I thought, it can't be time already. That was my first thought. My second thought was, how amazing is it that this alarm clock went off at exactly the time that I set it, I set it to? 
And what would life have been like if, if I didn't have an alarm clock? I, I would not have been at the forge this morning. Yeah, a rooster, right? <laughs> it's bliss. Yeah. Oh my, says the guy who is loving retirement. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful. But, you know, the point is, even in that moment of waking up, there was technology being deployed. And then I, I, I got up, I, you know, turned on my shower, and there was hot water. That's technology. And then I made my coffee. That's, I mean, every single thing that I do requires and depends upon the usage of technology. So you can't say, I'm, you know, a, a tech hater, and I'm just, I, I don't use it. No, you do use it. You can't get away from using it. Um, and, and, and that leads us now to this, um, this statement. If something is technically possible, it is going to be technologically probable. And that comes with um, a whole host of implications now for us in our world, because pretty much anything that mankind is able to dream up, he's able to essentially figure out. And that's what God even says <clears throat> at the end of um, the, the, the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Um, I think it's in verse 6, Genesis 11:6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And then listen to this. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So we're going to put a stop to this. Um, but the point is that mankind, because he's made in the image of God, and he's got the powers that God has given to him uh, as vehicles through which that image can be displayed, has incredible power to investigate and harness the power of creation and is essentially able, ultimately, to figure out anything that he puts his mind to. Um, and, and that is an incredibly powerful statement when you look at what is happening around us. Um, if it's true that technology is ultimately inescapable, and you will use it to some extent, and if it means that anything man can come up with that is technically possible, that is then going to become probable, then that means that, that guys, as Christians who live in a world like that, we have got to know how to view technology correctly and how to use it wisely. And that really is my point here this morning, is to help us think about how to think through technology and then how to use it in the way that God would have for us to use it. So I want to give you five principles for how we should see and use technology, and we'll do that as we go here, okay? <coughs> All right, first... Um, the first thing I want you to see, and I'm going fast because I got a lot of ground to cover, and last week I jammed us up bad and didn't use time well, so we're going to try to do a better job this week. I started by only giving us five points instead of ten. Last week, ten points I learned. That's really stupid. Don't do that again, okay? So five different principles for how we should see and use technology. Um, first, technology is a gift from God, okay? Technology is a gift from God. Here, here is the reality of the equation, all right? If there were no ability to harness the power of creation, the curse would be absolutely insurmountable. There would be no way for mankind to survive a cursed earth if it were not for the gift from God of technology, the ability to apply that which we have learned of science to life. All right? There, there's, there's no way that, that we could produce... <clears throat> food or that we could eliminate threats 
if there was not any kind of advancement in technology. God has given us the benefit of technology, and he intends that we use that technology to further steward the creation and to provide for ourselves. Um, the only way to subdue the earth in a world where the earth is actively opposing you is to leverage the power of creation itself to seek to defeat that curse in, in a way that makes the earth productive. Um, and therefore, all technology, because it's a gift from God, all technology is at some level a copying or a harnessing of God's design. I mean, even something as complex as a concept like nuclear fusion is nothing other than a man-made copy of what we know is happening on the surface of the sun. Uh, electricity is nothing more than us harnessing the power that was first evidenced um, through a lightning strike. Just go ask Ben Franklin and his kite, right? Every technology that we have is at some level a harnessing of God's creation or it is a copying of his creation. Even something uh, as complex as data storage, I, I was reading about that this week, and you know, it was talking about how that a, a single cell in the human body through its structure of DNA has enough storage capacity to hold 1.5 gigabytes of information. One cell. Which means if you add up, and add up the cells in your body and multiply that by 1.5, you, I don't even remember the number. It's a number I didn't even understand. It was something like, you know, whatever, zerabytes of information. Your body has the storage capacity to hold all of the information that has ever been produced by humanity in the cells of your own body. And so humans are now looking at that storage capacity that is biological in mankind and saying, forget thumb drives. In the future, data is going to be stored like inside of you, utilizing the structure that God has, that God has put inside of you. Um, and so our ability, so that's called biological storage, and that's the future of data storage, is to use biology to store information. Yeah, so um, I, I, it's, important, it's important to understand that when we talk about storing digital information, who is the first one to do that? God is the first one to do that, and we're just copying the design that, that, he, that he made. Um, where information is storable, okay? So everything in, in our world, at some level, um, was put there by God for our discovery, um, which means that using faith does not require a rejection of science, and using science does not cancel faith. Reinke in his book said it this way, science and the church have often been friends, and sometimes they've been enemies, and that clash is very unfortunate, and he pointed, our, he pointed my attention back to the story of David and Goliath, where you see David using a sling to defeat the, the greater Goliath. That, that clash is unfortunate because in a grassy field in the middle of ancient Israel, God's man David wielded faith and physics at the same time. Can we find a place where God-centered trust and technique-wielding skill can complement one another? That needs to be the goal. Not to just reject all of the techniques and the skills and the tools that humanity has come up with uh, in favor of faith and, and not to just cling to faith and say, well, that, that's, that's really all we need. No, God has given us the ability to believe, and so we should. And as we believe, we ought to utilize the skills and the tools that he has entrusted to us and allowed us to discover. Okay, so that's principle number one. 
Technology is a gift from God to aid us through the curse. Technology itself is not the curse. That's what I want us to begin by understanding here this morning. Which means, here's principle number two, that technology is inherently amoral. What does that mean? It means that technology is itself not an immoral thing or a moral thing. It is without morality. All right? Technology is without morality. Now, let me be clear. The use of technology is always a moral proposition. Okay? Technology itself is amoral, but your use of it is always moral in one direction or another. And, and you know, Reinke made a really good point in his book that I had just never seen before when he pulled out of Genesis the fact that God is the one who commands Noah to coat the outside of his ark with what? Pitch, tar, right? Bitumen is the word in the Hebrew, which is not a naturally occurring substance. That's something that has to be um, produced by the effort of mankind as a natural substance is refined. And so God commands Noah in faith to use a man-made technology to coat the outside of the ark with tar to make it waterproof because of what's coming. And so there's a technology that is being used in faith by the direct command of God to do so. But then you fast forward the tape 150 years to the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, and you'll find that the people at Babel now are seeking to use their technology. It talks about um, bricks fired in an oven. That's technological advancement to make them harder and to last longer. And they're using the same substance, bitumen, tar, as the mortar for those bricks. Now, tar is not a good mortar. Why would they have been using tar on their tower? It's because these are people who remember the flood where God tried to drown the earth, and they're going to waterproof this tower that they're building, saying, just you try that again. Whoa. You know, so as they build their tower, it's with a, a direct finger into the eye of God saying, how dare you? Just try that one more time. Uh, and so they try to waterproof this tower that, that they're constructing. The very same substance, the very same technology, you see it being used both for a moral purpose, Noah believes God, uses the tar, and he's saved, and an immoral purpose to resist and reject and defy God at the Tower of Babel. Same technology. Now transfer that into your own world. This piece of technology is not inherently a moral proposition. It is nothing other than a block of silicon and gorilla glass and whatever else rare earth minerals and metals Steve Jobs put in this thing. This thing's not moral. But I can use this piece of technology in moral ways to do my job as a pastor, or I could use it in very immoral ways to offend God and say, I'm going to continue down the road of my own sin. The way that I use this technology is always going to be a moral proposition, but this thing is a brick of naturally occurring substances that mankind has put together. It is not moral or immoral. It is amoral. And the same thing is true with every other piece of technology as well. Okay? It's the way we use it that determines the rightness and the wrongness of it. So all technology is built on the understanding 
on understanding the natural order that God has coded into creation. Um, see, God has hardwired incredible power into creation. But, and this is very important to understand, he has not simultaneously hardwired guardrails into creation for how we use that technology. Which means that when you know, the Manhattan Project invents nuclear fission, and now there's an atomic bomb, God isn't standing in heaven saying, oh no, they discovered that secret. I can't believe it. I shouldn't have let them do that. Now that's not outside of God's power. He, he knew that mankind was going to create that. But he didn't stop an accident like Chernobyl or Three Mile Island for happening. Because we are the ones who are responsible for, for how we use our technology, right? Which means that we can use it for good or we can use it for ill. We can use it in ways that we don't even understand and we can really seriously harm ourselves. Mankind has come up with all kinds of toxic agents that cause cancer, right? Where, where we are the ones who have synthesized those things from natural creation, but then if we don't use them with wisdom and care, we can really harm ourselves in the world that is around us, which brings to us an inherent responsibility for ourselves and for our world. And so that's what we have to remember, that the technology isn't the thing that's bad. Uh, our hearts are, and so we need to use it with care. All right, that, that's what I want us to really wrap our heads around this morning, okay? So that's the second principle that, that we, can, we can use here. Here's a third one. Well, first of all, any questions there so far? I, I just asked that because I need some coffee. All right, let's keep going. Okay, number three, technology... There's a really big typo in my notes. I hope it got fixed in yours. Oh, good. Okay, I, I'm reading technology is outside of God's sovereignty. Eh, that's wrong, okay? That's right. No technology is outside of God's sovereignty. All right, and I've just touched on that a little bit. Um, there's a really interesting book um, by a guy named, I think it's Kevin Kelly, about the nature of inventions. I think the title is How Inventions Happen. And he goes through and charts out <coughs> the fact that the kind of the, the solitary hero inventor who just out of, out of thin blue air or the thin blue, out, out of clear blue sky, out of thin air. There we go. Uh, it's really early, obviously. Out of the clear blue sky, it's very rare that an invention just boom, pops into someone's head. Um, an example of that would be a guy named Marconi with radio waves. Marconi is like 75 years ahead of the discovery of an actual radio wave, and yet he's got it in his head that this is a possible thing, and he begins to work on inventing it. That's an example of what's called a heroic sort of inventor, or Leonardo da Vinci, who is seeing things and coming up with flying machines 600 years before the technology is possible for that to even happen. Um, you know, so you know, there, there are instances where God uniquely blesses someone as a genius to be able to come up with ideas um, that are just way outside their times. But that is incredibly rare. So the genius is made by who? God. So anything that a genius inventor, a hero inventor, comes up with out of the clear blue sky, um, whose sovereignty is that underneath? God, because God made that man and enabled him with the ability to see things that nobody else could or would. But more often than not, inventions actually come through the application of multiple technologies all converging at, a, at the same point in time. And there is an, in, there is an, 
there is an inevitability, say that seven times fast, to the production of whatever is being invented. And so what you'll find with things like a power current, for instance, you've got George Westinghouse, Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison, all pursuing the same invention at the same, th at the same time independently from one another because these various fields have all progressed to the point where that's the next logical step and multiple people can see it and now it's a race to accomplish it. Same thing with, in our day, let's say artificial intelligence. You see Russia, China, America, all these different countries all racing after advancements in artificial intelligence. Why is that? Is it because there was one work by a seminal thinker? No, it's just that technology broadly has gotten to the point where this now becomes the next possible step. Everybody sees it, everybody knows it, they're all pursuing it together at the same time, and someone is going to win and be credited as the inventor, but that is the result of a process that is also superintended by God. God is the one who allowed these factors to all converge at this time, and he is the one who is superintending in a sovereign way through human history in a way that no one can stop. No government is going to be able to stop the development of artificial intelligence. That's not possible, because if our government is foolish enough to say, no more moratorium, every other nation in the world, guess what they're going to do? <laughs> right on past us, right? And so there's, there's no ability to stop this, which means that this is not under the control of hu humans. Whose control is the development of this grand new tool actually under? Under the sovereignty of God, because all things are under the sovereignty of God. We know that, right? God is not surprised by the technological advancements of mankind. Just go back and look at a text like Genesis 50, 20, right? Where Joseph literally says, you meant this for evil, God meant this for good. See, he is working out his own sovereign purposes, even through the evil hearts and intentions of mankind. So I think that's really something that we have to remember. God's plan includes even the most advanced kinds of technology in the hands of utterly godless men. Let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 54, <clears throat> 16 through 17. This was another insight that I got from Tony Reinke, um, which, by the way, part of the reason I like that book is not because he's read up and fluent on what's actually happening in our world around us, but he actually has some really good exegetical insights that I've just never thought of or even heard before. Um, and I really appreciate his application of the text to the question. So very helpful. But he pointed my attention to verses 16 and 17 here in Isaiah 54. Does somebody, can somebody read this, those two verses for us? Uh, Isaiah 54, 16 and 17. Now, there's a lot we could say there, but the point I want you to see, who is the one who made the smith? God says, I made the smith. Who is the one who, who the, the smith who now blows the fires of coals? That is the most advanced kind of metallurgical process that was known at the time. This is the cutting edge technology of the day. And God says, I am the one who made that man to be able to know how to use that technology. 
And not only have I made that man, but I have equipped him to, produ to produce a weapon for its purpose. What's the point of a weapon? To kill and to destroy another man made in the image of God. So even the death and destruction that's brought about by a weapon is not outside the sovereignty of God. God says, I am the one who has equipped you to know how to make that weapon to injure my own image, um, which is just amazing. And then get this, I have also created the ravager to destroy, the godless man who wields the weapon according to his own wicked purposes. Who is the one who has made that man? God has. Who is the one who is sovereign over every single one of his actions that he takes with that sword? God is. Now that does not make God responsible for this evil, but it does mean that God is sovereign over that evil and will accomplish his purposes, his good purposes, through the wielding of that technology as he is the one who is sovereign over the heart and life of the one who is not only making it, but also wielding it. That's the level of sovereignty that God has over mankind and all of his little puny gadgets. And I think that's really important for us to remember. All right? God has the ability to stop or to redirect or to ignore a superior form of technology. Nothing is happening that is surprising to God in our world around us. He's not looking at all the advancements of mankind saying, I've got to figure out a way to stop them because this is just not the way that I wanted human history to go. No, this is not outside of his control. It's not outside of his knowledge or his awareness. And if he wanted to stop it or redirect it, he absolutely could. You go back and you look at the Tower of Babel. And what do you see there? You see these people applying their technological prowess and know-how to build something that is in their hearts to build in rebellion against God. And what does God do? He stops it. Enough of that. We're not going down that road. He stops them. Something else that is, that it, that is interesting at the Tower of Babel, I already read you, verse 6 in Genesis 11, he makes the statement, nothing will be impossible, so we'll do this instead. Not only does he stop their technological advancement, but he redirects their technological uh, exploration by instituting new languages and new, new cultures now that, that shatter mankind over all the earth, thereby fulfilling his plan. He redirects their attentions to something else, something much bigger, because he doesn't want them to do this over here. So if God doesn't want something to happen, can he stop mankind from accomplishing that end? Yes. If he doesn't want something to happen, but he does want something else to happen, is he in his sovereignty able to redirect mankind over towards this end instead of that one? Yes. Okay. He in his sovereignty is not threatened by a superior form of technology. Just because you and your nation may have the stronger weapon set doesn't mean that necessarily the outcome is just automatically decided. I mean, who won the fight between David and Goliath, after all? I mean, D Goliath has the best technology available. He's got bronze weapons, of all things. And they're huge, no less. I mean, they are the superpower weapons of mass destruction in his day. And yet, who beats him? A boy with nothing more than a leather strap in his hand. See, God uses the inferior technology to defeat the superior technology, which just flies completely in the face of mankind's thinking. So I think that's important for us to, for us to recognize. Yeah, Marv. Yeah, Pastor, I just, I, it's amazing to think back to the flood. 
Sure. Was essentially lost except for the knowledge of the eight people. Yep. Yep. All of it. Yep. And there was a lot that would have been developed because the lifespans were like a thousand years, and so information is being accumulated, right? That's a really interesting point, Marv. That, that's good. Okay. So here's my point with the sovereignty of God. We unless don't. And the ark had a library. Unless the ark had a library, at which point <laughs> you might want to think about that. You might want to talk to Ken Ham about that, Marv. <laughs> okay. Here's my point. We don't need to fear. Okay, that doesn't mean that we're not going to be harmed by technology. We well may be harmed by technology. Okay, but that doesn't mean that we need to fear it. Because, guys, let me remind you, this world is not your home. God has his plan. It is on track. He will not be thwarted. So there may be some kind of industrial accident that wipes Wildwood off the face of the planet. I don't know. I'm not prophesying that. Let's be clear. But even if that were to happen... That's okay. Technology may well harm us. It, I'm sh I, I know that it has. Many of the effects of this device have not been good for us. Mankind, American culture, has been radically harmed by this device. And many people are waking up to that reality and they're saying, we, we're going to have to do something here because this is really ruining who we are as human beings. Unchristian people. But just because we may be harmed by this device or by some industrial or commercial accident, doesn't mean we need to be afraid of the technological advancements that are happening around us. Be wise, absolutely, but don't fear, because God's in control. And even if the whole thing just melts down and the servers come offline and we, you know, we end up going back to the Stone Age and only the people who stored up food survive, I, that's okay. Because God's plan is on track. It will not be thwarted. I don't think that's going to happen, obviously. But even if it did, my point is, God is always sovereign over the advancement of technology and or the regression of technology. And we don't need to concern ourselves and be all freaked out about what's going on, all right? That's point number three. <clears throat> point number four, sin now has radically impacted the trajectory of technology. And this is where things really get kind of nuts, okay? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity into the heart of every man which means that there is a longing and a yearning for more. And it's that longing and yearning for more that drives mankind down the road of exploration via technology. And he thinks that if we can simply produce the right kinds of technology, we can fill the voids in our life. And he doesn't realize that the more technology that he creates, the bigger the voids in his life actually become. And so he's trying to backfill the holes that he has in his life because he doesn't have God with things that can never possibly satisfy him. But the ultimate aim of the fallen human heart is to exist independently of God, replace God, and live forever without God. That is the point of the unsaved human heart, and that is the trajectory that technology is on. Mankind has chosen to believe that they can save themselves with the strength of their own arms and bring about a purposeful kind of an existence through the pursuit of a technological aspiration. And that really, if you boil it all down, let's just talk about artificial intelligence for a minute. That's the purpose of AI, ultimately. It's to create an all-knowing, autonomous being that we as human beings can now harness the power of to accomplish our own goals and meet our own desires. 
It is a godlike sort of a machine that we now can control. That's the point, ultimately, of artificial intelligence. That is what they are literally and specifically trying to accomplish. Now, as we've already learned, does that make artificial intelligence evil? I should never touch it, because that's their goal as they're seeking to develop it. No, that's not going to be possible in the brave new world in which we live. Artificial intelligence is going to touch and impact every facet of your world. And you are going to have to learn how to live with it and the effects of it, because it is already touching many aspects of your world in ways that you don't even know. But knowing what mankind is trying to do with that should impact how we view what man is trying to do with it. All right, that's very, very important for us to understand. You know, I, I don't think that AI is going to become, you know, kind of this machine overlord that now enslaves humanity and we've created a monster that leads to our destruction. That's not what I read in my Bible. That, that's just simply not the ending that God has written to the story of humanity. And the reason why I don't think that's going to happen, even if, you know, we're able to develop all these things, is because God has designed mankind to be the most efficient kind of machine possible. Kevin Kelly did some good work on this where he demonstrated that there is no ability of, on mankind's part to develop a machine that has the kind of capacities that we do. It may be possible to develop a machine that is stronger or better in a particular aspect of you know, our existence. Maybe a machine can run faster than a human can. Maybe a machine can process faster than a human can. Maybe a machine can jump higher than a human can. But there's always a trade-off between strength, power, and size. There's no ability to make a machine that can do all three of those things, much less 15 things that we can do, at the same time to the same degree that we can do it. And therefore, if we are the most efficient machine possible, and it doesn't take a lot for us to reproduce ourselves, why would you spend all this time and money trying to make a better machine than us if we're already the best machine that's out there, right? That, that's kind of the point that he's making. So he's saying, look, you don't need to fear the rise of the robotic nation where now robots, you know, outsource humanity and humanity goes away. People who are freaked out about that just simply aren't reading their Bibles. God has created us at the apex of his creation, and he's not going to allow us to be knocked off by some cheap metallic counterpart, okay? But that doesn't mean that there aren't certain aspects of who we are um, that are inferior to machines, like machine learning or machine communication. In order for us to communicate, our communication, while we may be very efficient, our communication is not very efficient. What that means is that in order for us to receive information, we have to listen for a long time as things are explained to us. We have to remember it, which we forget many things. Then we have to be able to repeat it so there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of inefficiency in that, in that process, whereas a machine has the ability to just scan the entire encyclopedia on something like physics, and now it knows, and it can direct download those things. And so the next wave of human kind of existence uh, is really seeking to amplify our weakness with machine learning, and, and that is what's going on with, with artificial intelligence. You've got very smart guys like Elon Musk who are actively pursuing the ability to do a direct download into your head of information and to be able to extract information out of your head. 
so that all of your memories can be extracted from you and stored digitally, and anything that you need to know can be directly downloaded into you so that instantly you're just an expert on, on, this, on this stuff. That's, that's not science fiction. There was literally a headline last week that they were actually successful in the first step that they needed to take on that journey through a company called Neuralink that Elon Musk is behind, right? That, that's crazy stuff. I mean, that's like sci-fi stuff, but that's the direction that humanity is heading. Now, why are they heading that way seeking to harness artificial intelligence to do it. Because they believe that mankind is fundamentally deficient and needs to now be augmented. It needs to be improved. God's design needs to be improved. And we're going to do that so that we can achieve a form of eternal life that is of our own making apart from God. And that is what these companies have specifically and explicitly stated that they're seeking to do. And they're seeking to do that through two different means. Let me give you two big words now. Okay, the first one is transhumanism. The second is posthumanism. I want to explain what these words are to you men because you're going to begin to hear more about them and you need to understand what the ultimate aim is. The aim of the transhumanist movement is to digitize your existence, where all of your thoughts, all of your memories are made downloadable, where you now can exist forever as a sentient electronic being, your memories intact. And if we want to now clone you and recreate you and re-download all of your memories into just a different body, you now theoretically have the ability to live forever with your memories and personality and everything intact. That's what they're actively seeking to pursue. That sounds nuts to us. And it does, doesn't it? But that's what they're actively seeking to do. It's eternal life without a body to fuse you with artificial intelligence so that you can now live forever. That's one direction that humanity is pursuing this goal of eternal life apart from God. The other pathway that they're on is called, that's transhumanism, um, really fusing you with AI to create a digital kind of eternal existence. The other one is what's called posthumanism. And that really is an evolutionary viewpoint that says we're gonna seek to deliver mankind to an eternal existence by elevating the evolutionary process through things like genetic engineering and cellular regeneration and reduplication. And this is now eternal life within your body. And there are very smart, wealthy people who actually believe that this is possible and are, and are pursuing it with all of their might and all of their resources. Um, you know, the idea here, medicine in the 19th century was aimed at palliative care. Let me just illustrate this for you. That means, that the point of medicine in the 1800s was to ease your pain as you went through the process of dying. I mean, how discouraging is that? that? That was what they did way back in the day. I mean, something's wrong, well, let's try to make it better so it doesn't hurt quite as bad, but you're gonna die eventually, all right? In the 20th century, medicine advanced and it became corrective. When you get sick in the 1900s, our goal is to heal you and make you not sick, all right, so medicine takes this giant leap forward where instead of just trying to ease the pain and the suffering, now we're actually trying to cure diseases. And there's all these advancements that happen. Well, in the 21st century, via the technological advancements that have been made, the goal is no longer curative. The goal is really preventative 
by means of enhancement that we are going to correct and upgrade you so that you don't ever actually get sick, right? That's now the goal of where you see modern medicine going, and that's happening all around us. If you watch the news and read scientific journals, you'll see advancements being made in that direction, where the goal now has become, let's upgrade humanity through genetic engineering, not even at birth, but you. There's technologies out there that can edit and rewire your genetic code. It's called CRISPR, right? To, to make sure that you don't get certain kinds of diseases or that you're not susceptible to, to this ailment or that ailment or to that sickness. We're gonna, we're gonna re-edit your coding to make sure that you don't get those kinds of sicknesses. That's where it's going. And that's all part of the, the post-humanist movement that we're going to upgrade humanity to a point where the human body is able to be regenerated and to live forever and they actually believe that that is possible. Now, how do we as Christians think about this? You say, why are you scaring us with all this information? Okay, I don't know that these goals are actually impossible. Apart from the intervention of God, mankind may well get to the point where he can generate for himself a cheap alternative to the yearning of his heart for eternal life. And I believe that this aspiration and our progress toward it may well be in the sovereignty of God, the trigger point for, for the end times. Where, look, if God looked down at men making a tower out of mud bricks using tar and said, no more because your desire is to get away from me, I mean, that is child's play compared to the stuff that we're messing with now. And at some point, God is going to look down at mankind's efforts to exist forever apart from him and say, that's enough. No more. How do we know that he's going to do that? Because he has already done that at a much lesser degree. And so at some point, you know, guys, I think we've got to prepare ourselves for the fact that Jesus is coming soon, just as he promised he is going to. And all the things that you see the yearning of mankind's heart pushing him towards in today's world is evidence of the fact that that climactic culmination, I believe, is coming sooner rather than later. Because God says in Genesis 11:6, there is nothing that mankind cannot do when he puts his mind to it. And mankind, man, they are going for it. They're seeking to replace God full on. And at some point, God's going to say enough is enough. And I, I don't know that that point, given the advancements that we see happening around us, is really all that far away. The aim of technology today at a macro and micro level is to arrive at a place where eternal life can be generated by mankind apart from God. And that is a breathtaking ambition that leaves the brazenness of Babel in the dust. That doesn't mean that I believe in some kind of grand techno conspiracy where there are cabals of powerful companies who are sitting behind the scenes trying to orchestrate this rebellion against God and produce eternal life. I don't, I don't actually believe that that's happening. That would be too hard to hide, too hard to keep quiet. What I believe is happening is that hardwired into the heart of every single man is a desire for eternity, a desire to fill that void apart from God, and so mankind, powerful men, are all independently on their own going after this goal. And what do you see? You see a world, a society, a nation that is just running that way, not because they're conspiracy theorists and are all trying to do this together, but just because that is the proclivity of the human heart, and if given the opportunity, man is going to take it. Okay, that is what we need to understand.
that the trajectory of technology and its usage has been radically impacted and ultimately is being directed by the sinfulness of man's heart, which now gets us down to the point that I really want to talk about in these last 10 minutes. My use of technology now. How do I think about this as a Christian? This is crazy stuff. This is the world in which I live. How am I supposed to think? How am I supposed to live in a world like this? That's really what concerns me, not where is all this going. I know where all this is going. This is not outside of God's sovereignty. I know why they're doing what they're doing, and I know how it's going to end. I'm not afraid of any of that. But what should I be doing in the midst of all this? Well, good question. Here are a couple principles that I really want for you guys to understand. Number one, good technology usage requires the knowledge of truth. Requires the knowledge of truth. Gentlemen, it is more important today to know and be convinced of the truth and what you believe based upon the truth of God's word than it has ever been. We live in a confused world who is running pell-mell after their own desires. And what they most need is not for Christians to retreat from the world because we're scared of it. What they most need is the application of truth to life. And that is what you have to offer if you actually know the truth. And so guys, we've got to understand the truth. We've got to know God's purpose for our life. I mean, the purpose for my life is to use everything that I have to leverage my life on this earth to bring glory to God. Isn't that what John 17 has been taught, teaching us? My purpose is to glorify God in all things. I cannot do that if I do not know him. And given the distractions that exist in the world around me, it is maximally important that I really, truly, deeply, passionately know God. That's the first thing that is going to govern your use of technology in this life. Okay, the second thing that I would tell you here in terms of how to use technology in a way that's distinctly Christian, appropriate technology usage requires the application of biblical wisdom, which means this has got to be a primary pursuit in your life. Let me just give you a, a brief word of admonition here. Guys, be careful what you believe. You have to learn to think deeply for yourself to apply the truth specifically in your life. You have to read wisely. I mean, if you're, and, and, and widely, if, if your posture is just to scan Facebook for tidbits of information, or to receive your information from a singer, single secular source, you, in the world in which we live that has divorced itself from truth and objectivity, you are going to be ignorant and manipulatable. Okay, you have to become an astute observer of the world around you, which means you don't just read Fox News or the New York Times. You, you have to read widely, think deeply, go beyond the surface. You can't just take what's presented to you and say, well, that's the truth, I believe it, and bang, 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 let's go. That, that's not the way this world's going to work anymore. You're going to have to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, but you're gonna have to learn to think for yourself, okay? That requires the application of wisdom. Ray Ortland says this, look, if you've got technology but not wisdom, we're gonna end up using the best communications ever invented to broadcast our stupidity. 
And that is what we see happening around us in the world today. Yeah, it's too late, right? But that, that is what's going on, is that we've got, wow, incredible tools, the likes of which people in generations past could never possibly have fathomed. And yet that, all that advancement in, in skill and technology and power has not equated into a translation of advancement in wisdom before God, knowing what to do with it in a way that honors Him. That is our job that we would seek to apply the truth of God to life, that we would pursue wisdom. All right? That's so important for, for us to understand. All right? Here's a third thing onto this point. Holy technology uses, usage requires the prioritization of Christ-like purity. <sighs> Guys, this has got to be an ironclad commitment in our lives. There was a headline this past week that came out that told us that within a matter of weeks, there is going to be a technology released where you can type one sentence of text prompt into this AI engine, and it will generate for you a full-blown 1080p HD video of whatever your text prompt was in a way that Hollywood can't even reproduce with millions of dollars of extras and technology. I, it's mind-boggling. But just think with me for a minute what a tool like that is going to be in the hands of sinful mankind and the purposes to which he will set his heart to invent all kinds of things. Guys, we're going into a world where whatever you can imagine, you can see. And not only can you see it, but you can put it on a pair of fake glasses in front of your face and blow it up to be as big as an IMAX screen. I mean, anything that you can possibly imagine is now going to be visible to you and only you larger than life. And that's coming in a matter of weeks, if not months. That's the world into which we're going. That's the world into which I've now got to go raise a son. I mean, that scares me on my own half to death, that that's the world in which, in which we live. And so there's got to be, moving forward, a rejection of the sinful usage of technology. We have to understand this. The Babylon Bee posted a really funny article this, this past week. Um, I'll just read you a quick quote. The dawn of artificial intelligence, that's a satire site. It's not real, it's not true, but they're a little too on the nose on this point. The dawn of artificial intelligence has brought mankind to the cusp of potentially reaching an entirely new level of consciousness, but humanity has decided instead to use it to make more porn. After spending so many decades of my life developing artificial intelligence, I could not wait to see what mankind would do with this unbelievable tool, explained AI designer Sam Hawkins. Would it be used to diagnose cancer early or help us communicate across every language on the planet? Nope, turns out humans will use any tool capable of making porn to, well, make porn. I'm an idiot, right? That, that was the article where he's making the point that the, the sinful proclivity of man's heart is going to immediately, with a newfound power, boom, go off into the direction of sinfulness. And that's true, which means that we, as God's men, must be more committed than ever to using this technology in ways that affirm purity. All right, let me just very quickly go through these last two. Faithful technology requires a commitment to proclaiming the true gospel, not less. Our world believes a false gospel that it can solve its problems via technological advancement, and that is their hope of salvation. That is a false gospel that needs to be repudiated with the truth of the, of the real gospel. And we are the ones who have it. We are the ones who have been called by Christ to bear witness of his name. And that must be our priority now. Number five, last one, devoted technology usage requires a great love for God 
that is not going to be distracted by the ever-increasing wonder of a love for progress. Wow, guys. Just, just go with that thought in your minds. There are so many distractions in my world because of technology that vie for my time and my attention. But I am not to be a technophile, right? A lover of technology. I am to be, first and foremost, a lover of Jesus Christ. And that needs to be the thing that drives me and propels me through this very technologically advanced world. So how do we think about this? I'll end with this quote. It should be there in your notes. If we can honestly thank God for it, we can adopt it. God's God-centered gratitude gives us faith to see that only Christ can fill the holes in our souls. Christ is the secret to thriving in the age of AI, autonomous robots, and anti-aging advances. Joy in Christ teaches us to be thankful for the innovations that we need and content without the ones that we don't. Very helpful counsel that I would leave with you men and just challenge you with here today, okay? Really good stuff. Thanks for hanging with me. I know I was moving fast. There was a lot of ground to cover there, but we will see you men